When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they... I felt it felt right. I felt it was right. I was so and I just thought, well... I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to The Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and this week our stories are about some less-than-pleasant feelings in both life and science. There's lots of unpleasant sensations in life, like wet socks, secondhand embarrassment, finding out you have a paper cut when you use hand sanitizer, feeling like you're about to sneeze but can't, or having crumbs in your bra. Ugh the worst. In fact, right now I'm experiencing some pretty unpleasant sensations myself because I have like 50 mosquito bites covering my body. I look like I have some form of the plague. It's very attractive. And I know there's a scientific reason why mosquitoes think I'm so tasty, but it doesn't matter because it doesn't stop them from eating me or making me less itchy right now. Right now I'm so itchy that I'm essentially using Afterbite-like body lotion. And not to give too much away, but our second storyteller in this episode might be able to sympathize with my itchy feelings, so stay tuned. Anyway, our first story is from Andrew Spink. It was recorded at the Jewel Box Theater in Seattle, Washington in March this year. The theme that night was troublesome. It's my first time in the city of Oakland, and everything feels strange, confusing, like I'm out of place. I'm here attending a conference for the uh, outreach nonprofit that I work for, and uh, despite getting on a flight at 6 a.m. out of Des Moines, Iowa, and rushing through traffic to get here, I'm energized, and I'm excited that I'm here. It's one of those conferences where uh, you can stay with a host family instead of paying for the Four Seasons. And I thought this would be a good chance to use my communication skills and do some community outreach. So I accepted the housing and uh, now the welcome dinner is finishing up and it's time to meet our hosts. Oh, that dinner was fantastic. The most tender and juicy sirloin I'd ever tasted. Smooth mashed potatoes, a slice of garlic bread that had been baked with so much butter you could almost wring it out. As I finish eating, one of the organizers walks me over to the man behind the grill, who goes by Bob. And he, along with his wife and teenage daughter, would be hosting me. Bob looked to be about in mid-50s. He was short and thin and had jet black hair and kind eyes behind his glasses. I look at Bob and I say, that was the best steak I'd ever tasted. And his daughter said that he doesn't speak English. <laughs> On the drive to their house, uh, she explained to me that they had just moved to the U.S. from China two years ago, and that though the, her parents understood English, they only spoke Mandarin. 
She gave me a brief tour of their small two-bedroom home and blushed as she said that I'd be sleeping in her bedroom while she slept in with her parents. Breakfast would be at 8 a.m. And as I fell asleep under flower print sheets surrounded by posters of One Direction, <laughs> I felt disappointed. I had looked forward to getting to know my host family. I had imagined that we would grow a friendship over late night conversations and become such good friends that they would come visit me in Iowa in future years, we'd go on vacations together, but instead I'd be spending three nights with people I can't even communicate with. Just after midnight, something jerks me awake. I can't swallow. My throat had been swelling up in my sleep. After a few moments of confusion, I decide I'm having an allergic reaction to something, but I'd never had an allergic reaction to anything in my life. You know, our bodies have specific cells that their job is to investigate any substance that comes into our body and decide whether or not they're a threat. And when they mislabel something as a threat, that's an allergy. Those Cells go into overdrive and they create a specific immunoglobulin that can detect where all the cells of that specific threat are in our bodies, whether they're a pollen or a, a tree nut. And then it teaches all the rest of our cells how to create the antibodies to defeat the threat. And along the way, our cells create all of this histamine, which leads to the you know, runny nose and itchy eyes and sneezing, and in some cases, anaphylaxis, which is what I was experiencing. By 12.30, I know I need to get to a hospital, but the question is how? I'm in a foreign city, I don't have a car, I don't even know where the hospital is, and there's no way I'm gonna go, you know, bombard into this sleeping family's room and wake them up. So I throw on some clothes and I go out to the kitchen to think things through. My, my mouth is producing so much extra saliva to try and deal with the situation, but I can't swallow any of it. So I'm leaning over the, the kitchen sink, my mouth just hanging open, drooling a constant river into the sink. I can breathe, but my breaths are short and shallow, and I'm panicking, and I'm panicking more and more and more, and then the thought hits me, I'm going to die. Not just that, but I'm gonna die like this. <laughs> drooling in some stranger's kitchen in a foreign city and no one's gonna find my body till morning. <laughs> and then I think, no, 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 I can't die because I don't wanna miss out on more delicious meals like we had at the conference today. And that thought gives me almost enough courage to go barge into their room and wake them up. But just at that moment, the door to the garage opens and Bob walks into the house carrying three bags of groceries. Now, for the life of me, I don't know why Bob chose the middle of the night as the time to go get groceries when everybody else is sleeping, but I don't care. I'm just so damn thankful I don't have to wake up some strangers. Now, I can't talk, so I can't communicate to Bob what's going on, so I start moaning and sort of pantomiming that I'm choking by doing the, the choking sign around my neck, which, in retrospect, may not have been the best idea. Uh, if you think about it from his perspective, you come home from your grocery shopping at 1 a.m., and, and you find a total stranger just spitting into your sink, and then when he sees you, he turns to you with this intense, fiery, life-and-death look in his eyes, takes two steps toward you, and then starts, you know, pantomiming a choking motion, he drops the three bags of groceries and pulls out his cell phone, and I'm sure he's calling the cops. But after a moment, he puts his phone on speaker and he starts speaking in Mandarin to the phone, but the voice on the phone is responding in English and it's talking to me. 
I can't talk back. I'm just moaning and more drooling. But eventually I hear the voice say, don't worry. It's okay. Go with Bob. He's going to take you to the hospital. So I follow Bob out into the garage and into the pickup truck and he drives me to the ER. And the entire trip to the hospital, I'm just drooling down the front of my shirt, worrying about ruining the interior of the, the cab of his truck and wondering about this stranger who's driving me. I mean, he acted without hesitation in the midst of a very odd situation. <laughs> he remained completely calm. He acted decisively and quickly. And as I watched his face as he's driving, my panic eased just slightly. At the ER, I do my pantomime moaning routine for the nurse that's checking us in. And she barely looks up at my host and says, relationship to patient? And Bob and I just look at each other and shrug. But within a few minutes, I'm in a hospital gown. I'm on a medical table and I'm waiting for the doctor to come in. And it's just me and my host dad sitting next to me. Our eyes lock for a moment, but his eyes say a lot in that moment. Something like, don't worry, it's gonna be okay, I'm right here. I try to say thanks with mine. The doctor comes in and, uh, and can see that I can't talk very well, so, so he just takes over the situation. He says, it looks like you're having an allergic reaction to something, I'm gonna put this cream in your mouth and it's gonna help take the swelling down and then we'll talk through what happened. The only problem is that the cream, uh, I when the cream goes on my tongue, I lose all feeling in my tongue. So the swelling does go down. I can start to breathe a little bit easier. I can swallow, but my tongue is completely and utterly numb. The doctor asks me what I'm allergic to, and I respond, I don't have allergic to anything. I have no allergies whatsoever. <laughs> he tries again. Okay, what did you have for dinner? Oh, steak and potatoes and garlic bread. That was so and he's, I'm useless. So I'm trying to describe all the foods I had for dinner, the delicious foods, all of which I'd had hundreds of times and I'd never had an allergic reaction to. My host dad hands me a piece of paper and a pen and I think, where did you get a piece of paper and a pen? But it's really helpful because now I can write down all the answers to the, to the doctor. So I write down all the foods that I had for dinner and the doctor points at the, the word steak on the paper and he says, how was the steak prepared? So I write down medium. And he goes, no, not how was it prepared. How did they prepare it? And I shrug and I look at Bob who was behind the grill and Bob's already got his cell phone out and it's on speakerphone and he's talking in Mandarin and the voice on the speakerphone is responding in English again. And, it, and the voice tells us that for the entire morning, the steak had been laid in kiwi to soften before being grilled. Without hesitation, the doctor says, well, son, congratulations, you're allergic to kiwi and probably a few other stone fruits as well. How did you not know this? And I go, I don't eat fruit, like ever, I don't eat fruit. <laughs> he shrugs and tells the nurse to give me a steroid and tells me to avoid kiwi at all costs. And it's a good thing you came in when you did. Your throat was almost swollen shut. On the drive back home, I'm swallowing over and over again because it feels so weird and liberating. I'm also thinking about how lucky I am to be alive. How fortunate I am to have my host dad walk in the door at that very moment to save me. By the time we get back to the house, it's 3 a.m. and Bob looks exhausted. I help him put the groceries away and the cream is, is wearing off of my tongue so I can finally speak. I take a step back and look at him right in the eyes and they're full of compassion. I say, thank you for saving my life. And he smiles and he squeezes my arm and then he disappears into his bedroom. Thank you.
That was Andrew Spink. Andrew Spink is a storyteller. Through his work as an author, solo show performer, comedian, and public speaker, he curates journeys through the human experience that examine our beliefs, tickle our sense of wonder, and spur us on toward meaningful living. He lives in Seattle with his wife and two daughters, where he feels guilty for not being outdoorsy, avoids coffee while frequenting cafes, and walks his dog to fit in with the crowd. Okay, before we continue with today's episode, a couple of reminders. If you're based in Seattle, like our good friend Andrew here, we want to hear from you. We're teaming up with The Wild Podcast and KUOW Radio for a special Wild Stories storytelling show. Friday, October 27th, 2023, live in Seattle. We're looking for true stories about your personal experiences with science, nature, and everything wild to be included in the show. The show theme is wild, which can be interpreted in any way you like. Anything from how you first fell in love with nature or biology and how it piqued your curiosity to experiment and explore, to how an experience in the wild has affected your personal or working life and or just something completely different. Really, we're looking for a story with a strong story arc or a change that takes place in the storyteller from beginning to end. If you're interested in sharing a story, please submit your pitch either at storyclutter.org submissions or email stories at storyclutter.org by July 27th and include a short one to two paragraph summary of your story and the wild in the subject line. You can also visit storyclutter.org shows to find out more about how to bring a story clutter show to your community. Or if you'd like to come work with us at the Story Clatter, you're in luck because we're hiring. We're looking for a freelance producer in Seattle and a full-time research and education director to join our team. All the details about both of these jobs can be found at storyclutter.org jobs. If you'd like to learn more about how to tell a science story, check out storyclutter.org education. We offer private workshops both online and in person for groups, and we offer public courses for individuals online as well. Our next advanced storytelling workshop is starting up on July 6th. If you'd like to find out more and sign up to take this awesome course taught by our executive director and Moth Grand Slam champion, Aaron Barker, visit storyclutter.org education. Also, if you're not already following us on social media, follow us at StoryClutter. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And finally... If you're a fan of this podcast, and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to The Story Clutter at storyclutter.org donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash thestoryclutter. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. All right, our second story is from Ralph Washington Jr. It was recorded at the Exploratorium in San Francisco in February this year. The theme that night was curiosity. It's late spring in 2012. I'm two years out of my bachelor's degree and I'm working for a small company that tests insect repellents. I'm driving a large white cargo van filled with equipment, and I'm headed to a field site in western Nevada. I'm driving alone because I need time with my thoughts. 
And right now I'm thinking about leaving the career that I've wanted since I was eight years old when insects first stoked the fire of my curiosity. I grew up in a rough neighborhood that didn't have a lot of nature, but it did have a lot of vacant lots. And vacant lots are a fantastic place to find insects. And when I found them in a vacant lot near my house, I realized that you can find wondrous things in even the bleakest of places. And ever since, I assumed that I'd spend my life studying the six-legged. Yet, I'm working with chemicals that keep insects away. And many of them seem like they're just a jump from being true insecticides. And lately, I've struggled to decide on a disciplinary focus. And a lot of the advice I've received has been pretty discouraging. I've been told that I need to choose a practical discipline. And many of the suggestions have been depressingly mechanistic. How can I find the wonder that I long for as a child? As I travel over the scenic features of the Sierra Nevada, I deeply contemplate the rise and fall of the various peaks in my life. The field site is a snow melt saturated marsh at about 5,000 feet above sea level. It's decorated with hardy shrubs and short trees and framed by beautiful geology. I get there in the late morning because I expect to be there for at least 12 hours. And after a long time on the road, I am eager to stretch my legs. So I swing open the door, I hop off the driver's seat, and I take a deep breath of crisp mountain air when my ears register the insect equivalent of Ride of the Valkyries. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I hear and I see that I'm standing in a loudly buzzing horde of six-legged Draculas. Like a cloud masking the sun, the lights darken around me. And innumerable voracious mosquitoes land on my body and start to perform a joint hypodermic massacre. As I feel their mouth parts penetrate my skin, I feel like a baby caribou in the Arctic tundra, beleaguered and in danger of rapid exsanguination. I have never felt so instantaneously and thoroughly itchy. <sighs> Although I'm exposed for only a minute, the mosquitoes bite through my clothes and they leave marks. Oh my God is exactly right. They leave marks on my legs, arms, neck, and face. It's terrible. I get back to the van and I examine myself in the mirror and I'm horrified to see welts on my lips on my eyelids, and even the inside of my nostrils. It is just disrespectful. <laughs> These mosquitoes have me looking like I just got beat up by nature. So, like most people, I'm not a big fan of mosquito bites, and I'm really mad about the ones on my face. However, I have a plum. So on the outside, I look as cool as the world's bumpiest cucumber. <laughs> but on the inside, I'm saying to myself, Ralph, you're a damn chump. You could have predicted this. Come on. 
You could have done a little ecological forecasting if you weren't so preoccupied with your feelings. <laughs> Number one, you know that Aedes increpidus is the prominent mosquito species in the region. Come on. Number two, you know that it's a wet year, so the increased seasonal precipitation was gonna grow the population. Number three, you know that the larvae develop in melted snow, so the adults don't have a lot of time to produce the next generation, which means that they don't drag their tarsi when they're trying to get that red juice. <laughs> My self-criticism is interrupted when I hear a familiar whine, and I notice that a mosquito has followed me into the van. So I square up on her, <laughs> prepared to, rin, to win our rematch via first round knockout. But I stopped short when I realized that I've met her before, many years ago, in a place that's not very far from where I am now. When I was a kid, a family friend took my brothers and me on a backpacking trip in early spring. I remember most of the trip is a blur of novel experiences. None of us had gone camping before, much less sleep in the open under a blanket of stars. Marmots tried to invade our sleeping bags, and we sealed ourselves up like frightened caterpillars. We went fishing for the first time and dined gratefully on a lake trout that we caught. It was the first time that any of us had gone a day without hearing cars, electronics, or the other strident trappings of modern civilization. It was the very first time that the three of us got to sit together in natural peace. On the second day, we're walking around looking for a place to throw rocks, or kids, and we find a small pond filled with frigid water. When we leaned over the surface, we looked at each other, saw the small creatures wriggling within, and asserted confidently that we had discovered aliens. <laughs> I had never seen mosquito larvae before, and no one had described them to me, so they were entirely novel. I mean, have you ever taken a look at them? They look bizarre. Listen, they have a comically large head, a narrow body covered in bristles, and many of the species, including this one in particular, have a respiratory siphon that makes it look like they have a snorkel poking out of their butt. <laughs> Silliness. Mosquito larvae look like their body was assembled by Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> Ridiculous creatures. Yet, my brothers and I were mesmerized. So, we sit there for hours, thinking about them and speculating on their origin. So there I am, savoring. I savor the memory of my brothers and I, laughing together in wonder. And I watch this lone mosquito fly around me on delicate panes of gossamer. And I realize that I am just as curious about her then as the younger version of me was curious about the youngest, younger version of her. She has faced great challenges. She spent her immaturity submerged in freezing cold water. She has to acquire a precious resource from a host who is violently reluctant to part with it. And then she has to hastily mate and lay eggs before the water gets too warm for her offspring. 
She is vulnerable, alone, and lives a life fraught with adversity. So instead of resentfully swatting her, I let her suck five micrograms of my blood. <laughs> I crack the window just enough to let her escape, and I watch her slowly fly away with the heavy burden that will allow her to produce more of the little aliens that mesmerize me as a child. <laughs> and I whisper gratitude to her as she leaves because she's helped me understand what kind of entomologist I want to be. I don't want to be an entomologist who wipes out insects. I want to be one who watches them thrive. Thank you. That was Ralph Washington, Jr. Ralph Washington, Jr. has been a devoted student of insects since his early childhood. Insects have taught him that the smallest creatures can often help answer the biggest questions. One of his favorite lessons is the reminder that although life can often be hard, at least he isn't a termite getting paralyzed by a toxic fart. <laughs> you can learn more about his work at ralphwashingtonjr.com. The Story Collider is so grateful to you, Andrew and Ralph, for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, and me, managing producer Misha Gajewski, and senior podcast editor Jen Chen. Special thanks goes out to our Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, and our Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Kent Whipple and Juan Carlos Martinez Jr. and by Kayla Glynn and me, Misha Gajewski, respectively. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week, Eric Jankowski will be back with some stories about fatherhood and probably some dad jokes. Trust me, you won't want to miss these stories or Eric's epic dad jokes. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.